Welcome to African Experts with Vicky Remote, the show that brings you African entrepreneurs, practitioners, researchers, and innovators with big ideas, solutions, and insights on issues shaping African lives across the continent. I am your producer, Brandon Bob McEwen. talk about like in the sex education world right we have stages of sexuality and we also have this theory uh that was uh, first uh identified and kind of coined by uh dennis daly um in 1981 and it's called the circles of sexuality um and there are five circles and what this basically displays in such an eloquent way is these five circles are all like all part of the human experience so we are all sexual beings, whether you're having sex, whether you are not having sex, whether you're a virgin or celibate or widowed, um, whether you are one years old or 99 years old, whether you have children or not, we are all sexual beings from the womb to the tomb. So that is from birth till death to our dying day until, until we are gone. And I think when you think of that, then you think of it as a spectrum. Because even though I said we're all sexual beings, does that mean sex? Does that mean the act or the behavior of sex? No. Welcome back. Let's meet our guest African expert, Leanne Fritz. Leanne Fritz is a public health educator and social justice advocate with a specialization in sexual and reproductive health. For the past 12 years, Leanne has worked in health promotion, reproductive health, group facilitation, HIV and AIDS, and community health education. She's the current country director of the Mama Beginning a maternal child nonprofit in Syria. From 2018 to 2020, she was the director and community organizer at Planned Parenthood of Greater New York, spearheading community organizing efforts specific to reproductive rights and justice. Between 2015 and 2018, she was program coordinator at New York Presbyterian Hospital, where she supervised, recruited, and trained over 40 school-based youth care educators and designed and implemented community outreach and education programming with a focus on adolescent health, family planning, teen pregnancy prevention, and facilitating classroom evidence-based education program delivery. As a teen sexuality education specialist at the Harlem Children's Zone, Inc., she led the implementation of a teen pregnancy prevention curriculum delivered to approximately 15,000 6th to 12th grade students. Between 2009 and 2011, she was the Behavior Change and Communication Officer at Mary Stopes International Sierra Leone. There, she managed, trained, and supervised over 200 clinical and non-clinical staff on implementing behavior change communication strategies. She designed and delivered trainings to over 100 community-based mobilizers and traditional birth attendants who are volunteers that recruit and identify program beneficiaries. Leanne has a Bachelor of Science in Healthcare Management from Florida A&M University and a Master's of Public Health and Community Health from the UNI School of Public Health and Health Policy. 
Leanne, thank you so much for being on African Experts. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay. Hey, Vicky. On Akuseo. <laughs> Mama, small, 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 small. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so my first question to you is, what are the barriers um, that get in the way of children's access to comprehensive sexuality education? And I'm being intentional here to say sexuality and not sex, because I think in my mind, and I think yeah. for a lot of people, a big part of the problem is the language that we use. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I think language is a barrier <laughs> that you pointed that out. Um, there are several access issues, barriers to this. First of all, um, it's ingrained in our way of thinking. It's a social construct to actually like to segregate these kind of sub subjects, right? We are pulling it out of the mainstream because we want to continue to make it a taboo. We want to continue to make sure that we're in secrecy, even though we know everyone talks about it. Everyone talks about sex. Everybody is basically having sex, except for children, for the most part, we hope and pray. But um, we choose to never make it um, a direct conversation. And I think part of that is because um, it's a way of classing people, right? It's like I said, it's a social construct that people are struggling with, just like so many other types of struggles, and including things like, you know, diabetes. People keep illnesses to themselves. They keep and, and then you, you're, what you're doing ultimately is you're, uh, you're causing a barrier between people who might be able to fight this in the future, um, you know, because you are keeping it as a secret. And I think that that's one of the biggest things, the taboo of it all um, within society that we have created as humans. Um, and not to mention mixing in a, a dash of religion, a dash of culture, a dash of tribes. You know, and the pot is just full of different things that we keep putting in um, to make it harder and harder for it to just be transparent. Like, yes, people have sex. Most people have sex for pleasure and not for procreation. Um, but there are plenty of people who have it for procreation. And we wonder why they're not having pleasure or enjoyment. Um, and we want to be able to advocate for those people. Um, is that wrong for me to say that? In some places it is, in some places it's not. But I say it anyway. <laughs> okay. So what you're saying is that the key access, the key barriers to access of uh, sexuality education for children are just preconceived like uh, notions around sex, that sex should be a secret and, you know, cultural norms that exist already in society. And of course, religion, right? People think that it's maybe morally um, inappropriate to teach children these topics because adults should be having um, sex and people confuse providing the education with um, learning about sexuality, right? Yes. I mean, as you said earlier, like the main barrier is that people think that once you open that Pandora's box or you open the floodgates of discussing sex with a child, you are then giving them the green light to go ahead and have sex, which right. obviously studies have shown otherwise, right? It actually works in the world first, if it's comprehensive um, and medically accurate, and of course, non-judgmental. But many times that's not what people get, right? So, yeah. Um, what happens to a child who grows up being denied access to sexuality education? And is there a gender difference in the way they're impacted by this um, lack of information? Um, so the, to the first question, there are many impacts 
you know, that happened over over a person's life from childhood to adulthood or to adolescence and then to adulthood who does not have access to comprehensive sex ed. Um, number one, we and we're seeing the effects of it. Like that's why in Sierra Leone, for example, one of the highest teenage pregnancy rates, early mar marriage, um, gender-based violence, um, you know, things like FGM. Um, and, and so I think that you know, a lot of these are based off of gender too. You hear like gender-based violence or violence in, in general and inter, you know, um, inter, uh, what was I'm looking for? Interrelational violence um, mm -hmm. or intimate partner violence. Those are all types of things that occur. And of course, abuse and molestation um, and all these things. I think that more than anything, it's a lack of empowerment. So you're working in the, the reverse to, to raise a child who is confident who um, has agency, who can understand how consent works, um, who can speak up and advocate for them, their self um, and their body and their pleasure. Uh, those are things that many, many children around the globe, particularly in Africa and particularly in Sierra Leone, um, do not have access to. And so all of those things, it's a domino effect. And, and if we really look into it, uh, you know, in the research lens, we would be able to see in the public health realm you would see that it actually feeds into so many other aspects of life, including things that we wouldn't even think of, right? So like dropout rates, obviously, of high school or younger people, um, you know, the ability to have, uh, you know, a healthy maternal, uh, maternal health care, you know, uh, maternal mortality is not a mistake. That's also linked to this. Um, and, you know, in general, it's, it's a way for people to be able to advocate for themselves and their bodies. So that includes other things. Like, if I'm not feeling well, I should be able to say that. And, and I should be able to articulate what part of my body aches or hurts and without hesitation um, and not feeling like I have to compress it and be strong or put up a front like I'm strong. Um, but I think that that's those are part of it. And that, to me, in general, is not a, a, a gender thing. It's not a gender-based thing. But um, in society, we love to separate things out by gender. And yes, girls, women, or people with vaginas and vulvas are, uh, you know, statistically at a disadvantage, more of a disadvantage. But a lot of that has to do with reporting. A lot of that has to do with so many things. And I'm pretty sure that people with penises or men or male identified people or young boys can also um, be in the same. I, I don't I don't necessarily think that it's this. It's such a huge gap is what I'm trying to say in my experience. Um, I just feel like the silence, you know, the culture of silence is part of it because we feed into gender roles. If we're going to start changing the trend here on the continent, where do we start? Um, for example, for parents who might have grown up themselves not having access to this information, what can they do to prepare for these conversations or series of conversation? Is there a strategy? How can they make the the conversations that they need to have and most, you know, most undoubtedly we will have um, less awkward between themselves and their children? I mean, I think for me, and this is what I advise many parents, no matter where we are, but I think for me, it, it starts with first reflecting on your own life and thinking about the, mis the mistakes that you may have made and the things that you reflect on and say, I wish someone would have told me that. Um, I think that it's always, it's a good place to start with just reflection 
um, and thinking about your own story. Because we, many of us as adults, we've been through, we've been through it. Like it's not something we haven't been through or, um, you know, wouldn't be able to uh, tell our story about. And I think that that's really the disconnect is that parents aren't truly telling the story of them as um, a, a woman or as a man and what they had to go through un until come, 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 you know what I'm saying? Like when, until there's a situation and then you're like, you know, say not me, I be, we go through the same thing. Why you go, you know, then it becomes like, a, 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 like a regurgitation and you're and the child is like, what? How was I supposed to know that? Um, right. I think we're not doing the, the job of storytelling to, to help us get through it. And everyone, every parent is capable of doing that. I mean, that's mm -hmm. a starting point for me because we all have been adolescents. We all have been children. We all had crushes. We've all had relationships. Many of us have been sexually active. Um, Quite a few people have had, you know, negative sexual uh, experiences that they could share. Women have had periods, all these things, you know, that we could we could share. And I think that I find myself here in Sierra Leone struggling, but a lot of times there's a lot of gateways, especially when we're talking about, um, you know, period poverty and menstrual education, menstruation education. That's a big thing here that it has taken, you know, with the government getting into it and then many other people getting into it. So I think that that's one of the easier ways for women or, or girl identified folks and people with um, vaginas and vulvas. But I think for boys, I think the easiest way for me is to really talk about consent and talk about how that looks like in the beginning. You know, you know, if you don't feel like doing something, you don't feel like hugging someone or you don't feel like um, doing it. What's that? What's that? boundary between disrespectful and I just don't feel like doing it and I shouldn't have to do it um, right. when it comes to other people and you as a parent establishing that. So there's like little things that I call them like teachable moments that happen throughout the day, happen throughout the time you're watching a film, the sex part comes on or they're kissing and then you stop it or wind it or tell them to leave the room instead of letting it play and then maybe pausing and being like, so what did you just see? What was that? Have you ever seen that before? Uh, those are the kind of conversations I have. I have two sons and I have those conversations with my oldest son who's 11 now, but my two-year-old, I will be having conversations with them as well. But I think that those are things to, to kind of get rid of that discomfort, that deep-rooted discomfort that we all kind of have in the beginning. Once you open that door, you have an open door policy and you, and you, you, you go to those places when you have moments, teachable moments, um, or opportunities, I think that that makes it a whole lot better because ultimately parents are the first teachers. Hi, this is Franklin Bob McEwen from the African Experts Podcast. I just want to let you know that you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and on YouTube. And also, this show was originally broadcasted as a live stream. You can watch all previous episodes of the African Experts show on africanexpert.net. And now let's head back to the show. That's really useful. I think the key thing that you said here is to use the naturally occurring awkward moments, right? Those moments when you're not prepared for a sex conversation, but sex and sexuality do come into your child's life. Maybe it's TV, maybe it's a song, maybe it's a music video, that instead of kind of speeding through or suppressing that, that um, parents use that as an opportunity to start conversations 
because if they are open and tolerant of the conversation and their children see that they're not shying away from this topic, the, ch the children are then going to be trained to know that this is a conversation, first of all, these are things I can discuss with my parents. Um, and, and I think you're exactly. spot on. Um, in my, as, I, as I reflect on my own childhood growing up with my mom um, and my grandmother, it really was an open door thing. I mean, they didn't specifically talk about sex, but there was never any kind of feeling that I could not discuss. There was nothing that was like, oh, you can't talk about that, right? So then as right. I grew older and reached different milestones, I was then able to go back and say, oh, this happened and this happened. What does this mean? What should I do? How is that, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. And so when I finally got to school, um, you know, being 13, 14, and we had sexual sexuality education, um, it was also easier to that to then connect what had already been told to me at home with now the science and the research that we were being presented it presented with. So yeah. I'm glad you talked about your own child because I think for a lot of people <laughs> the thing is knowing what is the right age to start children on their journey to sexual sexuality literacy. And what kind of information should be provided in those early conversations? What's really key for parents to say to their children? I think that's an excellent question and something I was just about to get into too. So I'm glad that you, you know, Vicky, you be on point, girl. Um, anyway, so yes, the, the thing that I wanted to say was that in terms of age and when we talk about like in the sex education world, right, we have stages of sexuality and we also have this theory uh, that was um, first uh, identified and kind of coined by uh, Dennis Daly um, in 1981, and it's called the Circles of Sexuality, um, and there are five circles. And what this basically displays in such an eloquent way is these five circles are all, like, all part of the human experience. Mm -hmm. So we are all sexual beings, whether you're having sex, whether you are not having sex, whether you're a virgin or celibate or widowed, um, whether you are one years old or 99 years old, whether you have children or not. Well, I'm yes. glad you said widowed as like a sexuality <laughs> category. What is that? You know, I have to reach out to all my people, though. Everybody's <laughs> counting. Uh, <laughs> yes, all of these, all of these folks. <laughs> we are all sexual beings from the womb to the tomb. So that is from birth till death, to our dying day, until, until we are gone. And I think when you think of that, then you think of it as a spectrum. Because even though I said we're all sexual beings, does that mean sex? Does that mean the act or the behavior of sex? No. That means that we have desires, we have fantasies, we have the yearnings, the innate desires that we were created with that are supposed mm -hmm. to be there. That we that are a part of our sexuality that build upon who we are sexually, and when I say sexually, sexually is connected to spiritual, is connected to uh, physical, is connected to uh, biological, all of these things. So the five um, circles of sexuality. Let me just tell you what the five are. So there's sensuality, which is like skin hunger. This is uh, what people describe as you know how babies love to suck thumbs, love to suck breasts, love to suck in general. That is, that's not by mistake, that's the design, right? That is part of our innate um, yearning for the human touch. It's, it's, it's something that is- it's, it's programming, right? It's biological programming. Ab absolutely. Nobody know to teach me dandy. That is something we all just have. 
Okay. You cannot tell me that that is not part of sexuality because that is built. You build up, you build upon that. Right. right. Um, so sensuality is one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. The second one is um, intimacy. Intimacy intimacy is very difficult for people to understand. And I understand why, because it's really tapping into the emotional connection you have with people. And a lot of times we can't identify with that because we don't have models to show us what does that look like? Because many times emotions are something that people just cannot navigate well um, because it's just difficult in a society that tells you emotions don't count. So I think that... Um, Intimacy is a huge one, a huge one, particularly in the African cultures, particularly in the cultures that I am a part of as a black person, as an African identified person, um, as an American, African American identified person, all of those things. So um, intimacy, which is an emotional connection, including caring, sharing, loving, liking, all of these things, um, risk taking, all of those things. Uh, self-disclosure and trust. And then we have sexual identity, which is a, another one people struggle with. Um, so that includes biological sex. Biological sex is how we were born. We came into the world, the doctor looked between our legs or whoever, the midwife, and said, you're a woman, you're a girl, this is a boy. Um, and then you go to class and you have the girl's line, the boy's line, the boy's bathroom, the girl's bathroom. And then, you, you know, girls wear pink, boys wear blue, all those things. Um, and that's someone telling us that we are that but that is part of your identity because then you take it receive it and you own it many times and then there's people who don't as well um and that also includes gender identity which is internal internal when i look in the mirror what do i see how do i look at myself am i seeing a woman am i feeling like a woman do i always feel that like that do i always feel that way so that's something that you know on the continent you know, we struggle with definitely you know, I you know, I told, you know, we struggle with it now, but we haven't always struggled with it. I think yes. um, it, it's one of the stuff I've read is that within indigenous African cultures, gender was always on some kind of paradigm. It was never a male, female. Yes. There were always extreme femininity and then extreme masculinity. Yes. And then people who are male, feminine, people who are fe uh, female, but masculine and everything yep. in between it. Some cultures, they're even, they even had different names to call mm -hmm. those uh, individuals. But with colonialism and religion and the patriarchy and, and white supremacy, girl, let's not even start because on this show I have dropped white supremacy multiple times. So I'm sure. <laughs> well, now me no. they drop her now. Now me, now me they drop her. Now be torn. Eh. Because and so we taken we've imbibed it and forgotten our indigenous cultures and our indigenous values around sexuality even around intimacy right so mm -hmm. that we we've now we're playing in a space where like now we have to be taught these things that exactly. our ancestors our ancestors knew innately because we're so disconnected from the indigenous we're so disconnected from from who we are from our identity right so now mm -hmm. we only know and you have people who would swear swear down because of religious indoctrination that, you know, you understand? Because of that indoctrination and what they actually, Absolutely. and then they say that these other identities, so like LGBTQI, that those are important when in actuality, no, the actual problem is your religious indoctrination. That's what exactly. has been 
supported the other things that mm -hmm. already had always existed in our community. You know, I just wanted to make a point to say that. Um, but yes, please yeah. take us down. <laughs> the various this circle of sexuality. Yes. So we were we were on the sexual identity part. Then I said the gender identity again with this, which is internal, and no one can tell you what your sex your your um gender identity is. Only you, only you. So that's the reason why it's a process. It takes time, and there are people who um are in phases and and are not clear or not sure because a lot of this is a long period of conditioning, a long period of indoctrination from the time you were born and even before you were born. Um, and then that also includes sexual um, orientation, which is who you choose to love, who you are attracted to. So, you know, and people, a lot of times they, they tend to gray all these lines and think that they're the same and they're not. Um, so this is why sex education is important. Yeah, <laughs> um, and then the next- Here, because you've given us three things. There's sex, whether you have- the female sexual organ or the male sexual organ. Then there's gender identity, whether how you feel inside, as in, do I feel more masculine or feminine? And now you're talking yes. about sexuality or sexual preference, which is who do I choose based on what I feel like inside and my exactly. sex, sexual organ, who do I want to meet with? This is so clear. How is this complicated? How is this a complicated tool? It is complicated. No, and then, no, it's, yeah, it's culture. Like I said, it's culture that makes people they, like they refuse to understand, right? It blocks the, 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 the depth, but um, continue. Yes. And I also want to say with the biological sex, it's not just female genitalia or male genitalia. There's also the intersex individuals Absolutely. that do exist throughout our society. There's many. Um, who yeah. walk among, among us, who might be related to us, that might be our friends. Um, and yeah. it's, it's their genitalia might be a little on the ambiguous side. Um, and so those people exist, and not so which, you know what I'm saying? Those people have been in existence as long as everyone else has been in existence. So again, you know, yeah. So those are all real things. And then the next circle is that conversation that many people are probably embarrassed to even tune in live but they're gonna watch it later so nobody sees them watching <laughs> <laughs> no problem i didn't tell nobody everybody anyway people who know me and follow me they know what i do so it is what it is uh the next circle is sexual and reproductive health uh sexual health and reproduction so there therein lies lies your um agency with your healthcare, uh, sexual behavior, that's the behavior part. So the sex, whether you're having anal sex, oral sex, um, or vaginal sex, or you know any other things that you're doing with other people. Um, and then of course your anatomy and physiology, which is a huge one for me. I think that to me, that's a staple. And anytime I am with people that I'm going to educate, whether they're adults or whoever, I'm talking about anatomy because many people do not understand the function um, and by the functions means is the different parts of your sexual organs and what they do, right? So that yeah, you know, exactly. you know, you have penis, you have testicles, you have other male parts, scrotums, right? All of that. We're not going to say all of them because, again, this is Ramadan. I know that there are people who are just like, "Why are you even having this conversation?" But we must because even within, um, even. It is very important that we have these conversations because the more informed our people are, the better off they'll be. So um, please, yes, exactly. bring it on. We're here for it. 
Okay, so anatomy, like I said, and physiology, and then we have um, contraception and abortion, which is also under this uh, sexual health uh, circle, uh, sensual, sexually transmitted infections, and uh, reproductive systems, you know, as I said before. So, so those are also, it's a huge part of the, the, the learning curve over your lifespan. There's many people who, they don't, they don't start to know these things until adulthood. Like it is ridiculous um, that you would go through a biology, you know, curriculum and go through all of that stuff and never, ever have a conversation about your own. Um, and I think that that is such a disservice. Um, and then the next circle is sexualization. Now, this is huge. Okay. So when I think of sexualization, I think of objectification. I think of um, exploitation. I think of things that happen here quite often in the continent um, due to poverty, a lot of times is what we say, but um, it's due to a lot more too. It's due to culture. It's due to a lot of things that we just try to sweep under the rug. Um, but also under this category is like things like flirting and being flirtatious and media messaging and images, pornography. Is, all of it is like sexualization, right? The things that tell you how to be sexual, right? The, exactly. the, code, the codes and the nuances that you get from society and externally to say, this is how we want you to behave for your gender. This is how we want you to behave to mate. Um, this is how exactly. you should act. And along with sexualization, one of the things that makes me extremely uncomfortable um, in Sierra Leone specifically is the early sexualization of girls that, oh my you, know, goodness. you know, while children are still so young and so vulnerable and fragile that even the language that we speak about babies um you know mm -hmm. two people have babies their babies are the same age they meet they don't say oh if their children are different sex they don't say oh our children are going to be such great friends when they grow up or oh, they'll, they'll no. play together they oh me picking like automatically exactly. the only way that we can relate male children and female children oftentimes even in our language is to sexualize them adults sexualizing children constantly mm -hmm. constantly yes. um i mean i even get people who message me on facebook and leave comments sometimes that i think are very inappropriate when they're like women when they're referring to olu they'll say like oh olu is my man and it makes me very very uncomfortable because i'm like this is incredibly problematic because yes. or they'll say oh olu they can't get girlfriend and i'm like He's five years old. I promise you that is not what's going on in my head. And it's certainly not or his. what's going on in his head. And we have to check ourselves, right? These are things we have to unlearn because they add to the conditioning and sexualization that we put on children that shouldn't be there. And we start making them yeah. ripe for exploitation, right? Because if you teach right. a young child um, all these kind of sexual ways to behave and flirtations and the way they waka, you know, all of these things that they learn. The dancing, right? the dancing, yeah. the dancing. Yes, they'll call them very quickly to come and like, oh, can dance as like some kind of skill they're displaying. And it's all yeah. very, very sexualized. Mm -hmm. So no, you're totally, you're totally hitting the ball. But I, I'm really glad we're having this conversation because I hope that it, parents who are watching and they're listening um are even if you don't agree with everything at least just having this conversation now is helping you to 
process certain things or ask yourself certain questions or be aware of certain behaviors that you have that may not be helpful at all for your child's um, sexuality well-being. Um, we're going to go to a quick, quick uh, commercial break, and then we'll be right back with more from Leanne. You're listening to African Experts with Vicky Remo. We'll be right back after this music break. Forget but the breeze, the breeze where they call you now, under the palm tree. Talk less but the song, song where they make you die on your stereo. Let we talk about the stench, the stench where they fool the gutter, then make the rivers run. Yes, I can feel for you. Even the guitar, they cry for you. And now they see you now, in corner. Mm, that note on you. Now, yeah, we did. Where me party tell you, say. Like how you can talk, but not like the thing that way you can say. Now, yeah, we there where me party tell you, say. Like how you can walk out, but not like the place that way you can go. One net, one girl get 16 slap, five man, one take the young man. Ice well, one cry, but net cold breeze don't freeze you. Yeah, water. One net, one girl get sixteen slap, five man one take the young man. Yes, this net, if you say no, you go no. By the end of the net, you don't make me morning. Yes, I can feel for you. Even me, it's hard to cry for you. And I see you now, in corner. And that not on you. That was Donny Major with the song Hannah. Donny is a Sarolinian folk singer and songwriter. He released Hannah in June 2021. And now, let's head back to African Experts with Vicky Remo. Welcome back to the show. If you're just joining us, you're watching African Experts. And this is a good time to subscribe to our YouTube channel or to turn on notifications on Facebook so that you never miss a broadcast. With me on the show today is Leanne Risk, who is a public health and sexuality education expert. And we're talking about sexuality education for children. Leanne, what are some of the mistakes that parents make with regards to their child's um, sexuality literacy? And again, I'm using intentional words like sexuality literacy because I think reframing and you know breaking down this um, the taboo, a lot of times mm -hmm. is giving people 
new words and new ways to express it because um, if we just say sex education, ultimately for African people, what that says is, oh, you want to teach my child how to have sex. But when you say sexuality literacy, they're like, oh, that might be something else because they know like regular literacy. <laughs> they're like, okay, sexuality. Yeah. Okay, I see where you're going. So I'm really trying to help us um, go on this journey because we need to go on this journey. But what are some of the mistakes yes. that um, make? Yeah, and also just to that point, um, Vicky, is that also, I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying and I'm all down for creating buy-in where we need to. Um, but I do feel like we also need to take, we need to take back these words. Like we need to take back these words and break them, break it down because a lot of these words are still in society. And you you know some of the words that we use in Creole, referring to women's parts and things like that, and you know, a women's anatomy, um, and even men's anatomy, anatomy in general, and body parts and genitalia, um, which seem to have a huge negative connotation. Um, and so how do we empower people to take those, those terms back? Um, not always just renaming and you know and things like that but i think it's important for us to take it back them right some things we don't even need to take back there are certain things that sometimes we don't like you know and 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 it's you know language sometimes it's very hard for people to let go of language because they feel like the language is a part of their identity right like if i can't use word to express this thing that means this thing can't be which is of course is it's is a fallacy right that yeah, you can rename yeah. tomorrow we could start calling this phone um polo right if all of us agree this is polo and it's no longer phone it can be polo so for some of the mm -hmm. the language that we use that is really destructive to our children's education and sexual literacy we need to get rid of them let's get rid of them right and if we need to change for example yeah. also on the verse like you said you know one of the key things is talking about our children talking about sexuality and being able to talk about our children's parts, right? So naming exactly. things for what they actually are. Um, so for me, with my well, son, that, that is one of the mistakes. That is oh, one of the mistakes. Girl, go ahead. I don't know how they're making this mistake. <laughs> so one of the mistakes is rooted in shame. Like one of the hugest mistakes that parents do is to shame children, shame themselves, or shame the act um, when they are speaking of or speaking about. And I'm I'm being very particular about saying speaking of because many a times we're not speaking directly to the children. The children are just hearing us talk, you know, about said subject, about, you know, a gay couple you saw in the supermarket, about the, the sex scene or about your boyfriend or a girlfriend on the phone or your husband or wife on the phone. Um, and I think uh, those are things that a lot of times, and then when we, the shame that comes with the, the subject of sexuality, the subjects related to sexuality is one of the hugest and, and biggest um, disservices that we do for our children. Because when you do that, you create such a barrier that goes so deep. Um, and it's really, really hard to uh, reverse it. It's not impossible, but it's, it's hard. It's difficult to reverse it. Um, and one example that I love to give uh, you know, in accordance to, with the example we just were talking about with anatomy and us not naming things by their name or calling things by their name. Um, so I used to work in a in a school in Harlem, New York, where where we were talking with uh, kindergarten mothers 
and fathers. And there was one case where a young kindergartner, a female, uh, her mother referred to her vagina or private area as as cookie, as her cookie. So um, she did not know it by any other name. Um, and then lo and behold, there was a, a staff member who was on the team at the school who was molesting her. Um, <clears throat> and she would come to her teacher and tell her for like a two week period that, you know, someone was touching her cookie um, and was taking her cookie. She would say, take her cookie. Someone took my cookie. And the teacher did not know how to respond. And, and a lot of people wanted to blame the teacher. Um, did I do I think the teacher should have done been a little more proactive? Sure. But I also know that there was 28 children in the class and teaching is not easy. Teaching is not easy. And the to, but to me, the biggest burden was on the mother. The fact that you were telling your child that the name of, of her parts of her of her vagina, her vulva is a cookie was a huge disservice. It turned it out turned out to be a huge service at the end because she could not communicate effectively what was happening to her. Although we ended up finding out, but after two weeks of her being molested by a janitor, you know, um, and I'm sure there's so many stories very similar to that, but how many parents can actually say that they call their, their children's body parts by the proper names? You, you, you say it's a vagina, a vulva, you know, a clitoris, do you say those things to your child? Do you like, do you say that? Do you tell them that these are things that should not be touched? Right. The penis, that this is your penis, this is your, you know, that this is your testes or testicles. Do you say that to your child? Do you tell them that it's not supposed to be touched um, by anyone? And if it is, you should be able to say, someone touched my vagina. Just right. like that. Absolutely. Just like that. Yeah, no, I think it's, man, it's such social conditioning. I mean, so with my own son, of course, because I knew this, you know, coming from a place like Sierra Leone where sexual abuse is such a big thing, I was sexually abused as a child. Um, and my parents never spoke to me about um, abuse in general, like a woman sexually abused me when I was a child. And so just having had that experience, I knew that it was, there was no way I was going to have a child and not talk to them about consent and not talk to them about their bodies calling things for what they are so that a child can so yeah. between my son and i it's definitely he his penis and you know i explained to him you know that boys and men have penises and girls and women have vaginas yes have there been moments where he would just blurt out things <laughs> something something vagina <laughs> yes 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 so <laughs> I commend you. I commend you. Two thumbs up. Two thumbs up, Vicky, for doing that. Because he says silly, silly things. Like, you just say the crazy thing, something, 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 vagina. I'm like, oh, no, please. But I'd rather have that understanding. It's terrible. I'd rather have that, that understanding and have the language tools so that as he grows up, that's something, because I see it as, I see it as something that you build on and you start the foundation when they're young. You know, right now, I'm yeah. not talking to my five-year-old about puberty because he's not reached that age yet, right? I'm not talking, to, I, I am either talking to him about body integrity, right? So the conversation that we've had is who is allowed to touch you and when? 
right? So right. if I'm if I'm giving you a bath, it's okay for me to touch you and wash you, right? If the if yeah. you, if somebody's washing you, somebody in our family washing, right? He understands that, right? So that those kinds of where you create a like a in my mind, I'm like it's a create like a zone of safety where you see like these are the people yes. and this is what is considered this is acceptable, but anything else. Right. <laughs> anything else and even just like even in my own paranoia which maybe might be so terrible because we have a livid nanny you know sometimes you know he might be hanging out in the nanny's room i'll just go in the room (laughs) not because i suspect anything at all but just because in my mind as a parent you have to be in a state of awareness you just have to kind of like be actively aware that abuse can happen and it usually happens where um, people trust um, in that way. So, which takes me to my next conversation, um, next question, which is, in what ways can sexuality education reduce or prevent um, abuse in children? Um, And, you know, what's the, and how do you do that? How can you educate your children where the intention is, okay, I wanna give them information to make them, of course, abuse is going to happen regardless, right? But how can I make it so that when they're being groomed maybe in the process because they have this information they can come to me and give them the information so that abuse and sexual violence and all of that we're 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 empowering them to be in a to have agency right um should they find themselves in these situations yes um i i'm definitely i think we already kind of started talking about that with the anatomy and making sure that you're talking to your child also you utilizing these teachable moments these opportunities that happen every single day where uh to have the talk there is no such thing as the talk these are talks and discussions that happen continually absolutely and it's to build upon each other so as you said vicky like right now you're not having conversations with Olu about puberty. But if Olu came to you and said, what is puberty, mommy? I heard this word. You should be able to explain to him what puberty is, even though it's not his turn yet. Um, And explain Mm -hmm. to him that it's not your turn yet, but when it is your turn, mommy will be there, you know, and we'll work, we'll get through it. I think, I think that those are the things because you have a very, uh, you know, inquisitive little boy and you have brought him up to ask questions and feel great to ask questions what is happening in our culture is that you know and what has happened is that many children are not empowered and encouraged to ask questions you know they look at is look at it as pci and or disrespect for kids to ask questions when really that is that is what we need we need kids to ask us questions so we can be the navigators we're supposed to do be and navigate them in the right direction if you're asking me this question there has to be a reason where did you go hear this what's how you go yeah you just talk and get into it the unfortunate thing in our communities is that we we have a negative view that if you if you're asking it it's because You've heard it and you've done it and you're guilty. Do you understand what I mean? So it's that. (laughs) So then when you hear something and you want to ask and you want to have the conversation, you do not ask because you know that the 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 adult or the parents or the guardian for the most part that you will go to is going to immediately accuse you, right? Like the reason why you're asking me, where do babies? come from oh now because you don't begin my business okay you don't begin get girlfriend and i mean yeah. you want to know exactly like, you, 
and that's and that's part of the shame but that's part of the mm-hmm. shame aspect so now you're shaming the child and what you when you start doing that you are push you completely are pushing that child away and then you will never be the person they come to and that and this is what happens a lot of time in our society we shut it down we don't believe the child so these are all my recommendations to have to have and create a safe space where your child feels like they can come to you and speak to you use those teachable moments or opportunities throughout the time your day you know that are just not just like come see don't lie talk to you about sex you don't want to do that you want to just make it a part of a natural conversation when see when we see something okay okay are you home after school let us talk about sex (laughs) (laughs) yeah so it's all about preparation this show was probably sponsored by adama loves akara thing how many stories have you heard of women and girls who had their first period and thought they were about to die because no one ever told them and and now the mom wants to say oh yes that's happened to me in fact i do it now oh all along you couldn't tell me lady you want me to just go around thinking i'm about to die this is the kind of stuff so even though olu hasn't and that's just an example but olu hasn't talked about puberty if he did come you know it's an opportunity to let him know yeah it will happen and when it happens i'm here you know what i'm saying We'll have to find that Google resource or that uh, YouTube video <laughs> that I watch first. Um, because There's sometimes, so you know, you parents, can just, sometimes, as you parents, can just text we don't know. That too. Like, sometimes we also don't know the answer, right? Like, you don't know yeah. the answer. Yeah. Like, if you know it because you're an adult, right? But you don't know the answer in a way that you can make it make sense to your child for their age. And I think that a lot of times yeah. that's how do I explain this thing? Um, so like when Olu asks me, you know, where do babies come from? <laughs> and I had to explain. Where do babies hurts, come from? It yes. hurt my head. Explaining that, it actually hurts my head to, you know, like you find yourself navigating the tropes, right? Like, okay, well, when two people, you always want to start from the responsible, idealized place. When two people love each other. <laughs> yes. But I, I, one thing I want to encourage parents is to not overthink it. Try to stay simple. Try to stay, stay simple. Like not try to get into the books and the, and the terminology. Just try to stay simple. Just say, you know, sex is an adult act. It's an act that, you know, two grownups do. Um, and it's a way that they show that they like each other, love each other. And it's also a way to bring babies in the world just like you. Because I, mommy had to have sex to have you. You know what I mean? And if you have any further questions about sex, you know, you can come to me, we can figure it out together. And I mean, I think that that, that to me is like, and it makes it so normalized because you're almost like, let's move this conversation along that they're like, oh, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, it's not that big of a deal. And I think that that's really where it starts. It just starts by keeping it simple, keeping it short, not, not like, not it, you know, overthink it. And because they'll see it, that you're overthinking it. I think it's important to just keep it as simple as you can and keep on building upon it. And then, you know, you can you can prepare afterwards, especially once these conversations happen. Um, but I think that those are the main things, like not to shame, not to uh, make sure that you're not trying to shame, try to stay objective and, and very cool and collective, be open, um, no blaming like you should. Don't use shoulds and woulds and coulds. Just be like, Listen, I want to know. And then when they come to you, after they come to you, so tell me where you heard that from. I, I just want to know. And they can tell you because once they have opened up and you have told them what you told them, they'll be like, oh, I heard this boy on the bus or at school talk about it. 
you know, or I heard it in a song, you know, and then those are the things and you can start to put it together. Like, okay, so they're really listening to the lyrics of the song. Like they're really, really getting it. Um, yeah. So I think that those are all part, parts of it and making sure that we are keep continuing to, to do our own education, educate ourselves, use the resource, resources of the internet. Um, there are some recommended sites and things like that that people can definitely, you know, ask me if you, if you follow me on social media. Um, but there are so many things out there that can help you have these conversations in a healthy way um, that do not encourage sex. And there are plenty of resources, I mean, statistics that show that when you have open, honest, medically accurate conversations about sex, which is comprehensive sex ed, your child is less likely to initiate sex, their sexual debut is delayed, and that is a choice that they tend to make on their own because that's a source of agency. Because I know these things exist. I know that STIs and STDs exist. I'm not trying to do that. I know that there's the there's possibility of children can come out of this situation. I'm not ready to I was, do that. I was, I, was, I was that person. Like I took health <laughs> class in ninth grade, and when they talked about syphilis and this and this, and I'm like, whoop, Vicky is not having sex until she is out of high school because I can't do it. <laughs> like, it was like, okay, my life decision is made here. We need not yes. do think. Even if they do choose to have intercourse, they know what to do and, I, and or where to go because comprehensive sex ed will never leave you out there resourceless, right? right? It will always connect you to the services, connect right. you to uh, uh, the protective and and you know, preventative things that you need to know for yourself. And I think that all of those, you know, all of those things are better than leaving someone out there to figure it out on their own. What could be worse than leaving them out there to figure it out exactly? So that, that's my two, two cents. <laughs> um, one of my final questions to you is about, um, we know that schools, um, and of course your past experience speaks to that schools, are the most important place for children to really learn anything, especially sexuality. What do those making education policy on the continent for African children need to know about sexuality education that they may be missing? Um, how can they bring it into schools? Like, how do we, how do we, how do we get the ball rolling? Because sometimes there's a lot of pullback from the community. So educated, but what do policymakers yeah. need to know about sex? sexuality education um, in curriculum? Yeah, I think that um, what, what African policymakers need to understand is that many of us are looking for ways to be, uh, to, be to have resources and funding to, to decrease the amount of negative um, impacts that we already have and negative things that are already in the, in the limelight, like for example, Sierra Leone, we have one of the highest teenage pregnancy rates, all of these things. And they are correlated. Uh, Understanding the science. That we, Sierra Leone has the 19th highest teenage pregnancy rates in the world. So of all the countries, we are 19. Um, one out of every three girls is between the age of 15 and 19 is already pregnant. Another like 30% are either like already child brides. Like in terms of like the yeah. outcome for girls in Sierra Leone, it is right. really, really bad. I mean, for many, many years, um, what the NGO said that Sierra Leone was the one of the worst places, if not the worst place, um, to be a girl because 
the outcomes yeah. were so were so negative. And I do believe like a huge part of a huge part of that is that girls don't have the information they don't have the protection yeah. they don't have the information to protect themselves their mothers also yeah. don't have the information because you know it's like a vicious cycle right you know your mother didn't have the information she made the same mistakes you also don't have the information exactly. you make mistakes, and for so many harmful things in our communities um we're left to our own um we're own devices leanne any last words before we close out today's program Yes. So um, thank you so much for having me on. I, I also just want to encourage people to understand that, you know, sexuality and sex is not um, it's not a bad thing. We need to embrace this uh, as people who truly want to see uh, Sierra Leone and other and their countries, their African nation, nations improve. And you want the, the future of your child to to go beyond where you are. You know, and if you are having those aspirations and dreams for your children, sex ed, comprehensive sex ed, is one of the most vital things that you could advocate for. And if you understand that, then we can be, I mean, the, the limits, the sky is the limit. There is no limit to what we can do and accomplish. And I also wanted to just share with you, uh, Vicky, that I had brought, I was prepared now. I was prepared to go all the way because I brought, I brought my, um, my vulva puppet. You know, because we were talking about we were talking about anatomy, and I'm I'm starting to make these here I in Sierra Leone so that we can have to get invited back on the show. So what we're gonna have to do is to have you back on the show, um, perhaps in a conversation around um, just like feminine health, women's health, women's reproductive health, and women's yeah. reproductive rights, so we can have a more in-depth conversation. Because definitely, um, I think that the more women know, the more parents know, the more girls know, the more all of us society know, and the more we have these conversations, the less um, problematic and the easier it becomes also for other people to have these conversations, right? For a mother Absolutely. to be less ashamed, start the conversation with a child um, in their own home. Yeah. With that, we've come to the end of today's African Experts. Today's quote comes from... Proverbs 22, 6 from the King's James Bible. And it says, train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. And I think about sexual literacy and, you know, sexuality education in the same way. If we give our children the tools they need right now and the information they need right now, they're going to grow up into young adults and adults who are sexually empowered and have the tools they need to protect themselves and also to just have sexuality well-being because sexuality um, and sexual health is all part of um, everyone's well-being. Until next week, una tata and tanki from all of us here at African Expert. Ciao, 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 ciao.